All right, it is that time of the morning when we get to visit with uh, oh, just one of the greatest gardeners out there and good friend and an extraordinarily knowledgeable man. Let's see, what have I not said about you that I need to, Howard Garrett? How are you this morning? I'm fine. Uh, is it like Seattle down there again? It is. Um, it is probably more like this morning, at least, is probably like the high plains as far as the winds. It is. I mean, we have uh, just unbelievably high winds down here this morning, and um, it's. Um, I, I can't really speak to the Seattle end of it. I I just got back into town last night from that uh, uh, more extended trip. We went to the big gift market in Atlanta, and then we went down to Florida for the Tropical Plant Industry Exhibition, which was really interesting. But the the main buzzword out there is, uh, boy, if it's if it's movable, it better be tied down this morning. Yeah, it moved in uh, to us last night too. It was pretty pretty loud, and we got a little bit more rain. So we we still have sopping wet soil. It's continuing. I didn't know if y'all were experiencing the same thing. It's pretty interesting. We got cold. I'm gonna take in my last few trop- tropical plants. I've left the asparagus ferns, two different kinds, in baskets out till now. But I'm gonna put them in the greenhouse today and so. I'm closing down completely because we got a little cold coming in it sounds like well it's but you know when we were looking (laughs) and you know you go out of town you always worry about what's going to happen back at home and a week ago they were forecasting for us 23 24 degrees the next two nights they've raised that so high now that in san antonio i think they're looking at a low of maybe 35 they're saying 31 or 32 in the hill country so it's apparently down here is not going to be nearly as cold as they originally forecast. So I don't know what to say. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But uh, it certainly looks like it's not going to be as severe as they originally forecast. I, I'm just sure glad I don't live in the northeastern part of the country this week. Oh, man, they're getting hammered. There's really some heavy snow all, all around. Some so, Several of my callers last week were telling me they were buried and the only thing they could do gardening wise was to check out the seed catalogs and get ready but there's plenty of planning that you can do really oh yeah and of course you know a lot of uh folks uh they get a propagating mat and start starting their own seed it's i don't know about in dallas but down here it is getting really hard to find much variety when it comes to tomatoes and peppers and things and of course peppers i'm i'm not as concerned about but i just don't like all of these determinate tomatoes and people that want flavor you're just not going to find it in what the extension service is promoting and unfortunately that's what so many of the growers are producing well they go that way because it's they're just more foolproof about growing them but the the flavor difference is really significant isn't it it really is but you know and that's what i tell people if you don't have anything to do you know get a good you know get some good bright lights or in my case you know get a greenhouse and get your propagating mat get your seed trays out you can find plenty of things to do on these days when you can't get outside and work well, how uh, looked like y'all went to some beautiful uh, spots. How was the travel? Everything okay in the in the airports? I haven't uh, been to an airport lately since the partial shutdown. The, the first time I went was when it first got started, and the the guys told me to come on through. Whatever you want to bring through is fine. We're not getting paid anyway. I mean, they were joking about <laughs> it and stuff and having, kind of having fun. But was it any different this time? No, it was. Uh... 
Uh, I have a lot of respect for most TSA people. Few of them I wouldn't give you two cents for, but I don't think we waited. I don't think it took us more than 10 minutes. Uh, we went through airports in Atlanta and Fort Lauderdale and then back, you know, in San Antonio, of course. And I don't think our wait was, I don't think it took us more than 10 minutes to get through. Um, they've, they've just gotten awfully efficient. And, and it's funny that you say that because they, we didn't, we weren't getting that kind of joking, but, uh, the folks inspecting bags and things like that, they were more friendly, more outgoing than I ever remember seeing them. And I've got a good friend down here that's a TSA agent and, uh, uh, but it's interesting and I don't know how many places they're doing it, but I know here in San Antonio, when we had the, you know, final four basketball and all of that, they had fewer agents, but they brought in more dogs. We don't have dogs here in San Antonio, but they brought in a bunch of dogs because they say the dogs are so much better than any detector that they can have of any sort. And we saw this several years ago, I uh, guess somewhere out west, and we got in TSA pre, and I asked, where's the TSA pre line? And the guy said, oh, everybody's TSA pre today. But then I noticed, uh, you know, we got dogs walking up and down the line and talking to my friend here. He said, oh, yeah, I said we can process four times as many people with dogs as we can with machines. So they have ways of dealing with it. And I've heard that in some of the giant airports around the country, that they may have some issues, but you know, they don't get much bigger than Atlanta and we saw no problems whatsoever. So, uh, um, I, I, I think there are a lot of dedicated men and women out there that are going right on doing their jobs and to answer your questions. No, we had no problems whatsoever. Well, I may have told you that I'm uh, enrolled in the VA now and we're looking, right. at, I'm going to them as, you know, another source, try to figure out this blood clot, uh, issue and, it's been fascinating because it's uh, been very impressive how efficient it is out there, and everything's running really well for such an incredibly busy place. It's uh, it's uh, been very impressive, and we're running into a few interesting things. There's so many different people you got to meet with. That's the only thing uh, right. negative about it at all. But so far, so. Uh, good as far as the quality and the efficiency and all that i've been very impressed and you know that's so good to hear because you know back a few months ago there was so much negativity and so much you know negative talk about the va and i don't know whether you know there probably are problem places around the country but i think probably a lot of it's just some of the the good old fake news stuff but it's it's so good to hear from somebody from a veteran going through it all saying hey Things are really, really good, so I can't tell you how happy I am to to hear that you're having that experience. The only negative I've had so far is that opposed to the other very gentle and very soft uh, way of taking blood that the first uh, young lady did, the second one was not so good. It was rough and fast and hurt. But, boy, she was efficient at getting the blood out. So, you know, it's a good news, bad news situation. Well, and I think from what you were saying, they, they, they practically drained you. They were doing so many tests and so many different vials. So uh, hopefully that, that'll be, that'll be uh, not too much in the future. They, they do a lot to get started, and then I know they do some to keep track of things. But uh, nobody wants to be a pincushion. But there is a big difference in the, it's here we say, in the skill level of the different phlebotomists out there. Well, and just the uh, yeah, just the uh, customer customer care, you know, the bedside manner type thing. 
Well, I, uh, I'm doing some gardening, but not, not a whole lot. I brought in some more uh, uh, ground-up tree trimmings to uh, finish off. I've almost gotten to the point where I don't need to do any more of my big compost pile along the back that's preventing uh-huh. the uh, erosion. It's looking good. You can actually walk behind the fence now. I don't, I've got so much uh, tree trimmings and new soil that's been built by the compost out there, and the only thing I've, I've noticed that I'll keep an eye on and keep you posted on, I've built up on the bamboo so much in some areas, I'm seeing a little bit of rot at the base of the bamboo. It's been kind of interesting. Now, I don't think it's going to kill it or anything. I think it'll come right back even stronger from below. But some of the big existing canes filling on them looks like it may have done a little bit of damage. Kind of interesting. That is interesting. And you wonder whether... It, the super wet weather that we had back in the fall probably, probably contributed yeah. to it. Probably uh, some of it, yeah. We, we have a friend down here, and her backyard is basically the solid big timber bamboo. And, gosh, Carolyn's yard, I you know, stays literally an inch or two deep just in bamboo leaves all the time, and I'm not seeing any of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know, 30 inches of rain or whatever you got in September has a lot to do with that as well. Probably so. I noticed something, learned something new uh, the other day that was related to one of my Dallas Morning News columns. I wrote a column about removing dead wood from trees uh-huh. and talked about the fact that it's not critical to do unless the limbs are getting big and they become very dangerous, you know, falling right. on cars and people and pets and stuff like that. In fact, we had a big hole gashed in the top of our greenhouse uh, head house uh, from the big american elm that fell back there because i've been real cavalier about keeping all the deadwood out of it but one of the things as i was writing and thinking about how you can tell what's dead and what's not in the winter because you know that's a question that comes up when should i do it because it's easier to see when there's foliage there obviously but i learned something uh myself one is on japanese maples it's really easy to see because the dead twigs turn a uh, manila folder color. They really change color. Right. And so it's very easy to see. But in others, like red oaks, which is a good example, uh, the color change is not that much. I did mention in the column that sometimes color change is uh, a way to tell. But the, but the best way on a lot of trees to tell, and I hadn't noticed it being this dramatic, is that when the the uh, limbs and the twigs are dead, the buds haven't swollen. Mm-hmm. And in the live stuff, the buds are just distinctive. And it, it sounds pretty subtle, but if you start looking at it, it's it's it pretty pretty easy to tell. It's kind of an interesting little thing I stumbled into. You know, that's going to be interesting. Uh, the thing, the one that I think is hardest to determine is pecans. I mean, it's pecans, and, and of course, I've got lots Probably of pecans, so. and if you've got pecans, you've got a lot of dead wood, and you do worry about things coming down, uh, but uh, I'll have to check that out. That that certainly makes sense, but I can't say that I've ever really studied that. I've never really noticed it. The other thing is, that which makes sense, too, is that especially when there's a little wind and there's movement in the trees, uh-huh. the dead stuff will be stiffer. It won't, won't have the same movement. Uh, that makes so, sense, too. It can, uh, you can really tell, you know, it, somehow it'll be just, you know, testing it and playing with it and breaking it and that sort of thing. But there are a few uh, telltale signs that, that work pretty well. My uh, hellebores are starting to bloom really pretty in the, in the garden. That's a, 
That's a neat little plant. I think it's tough as nails. I, I've never planted it as much as I have the last couple of years, and I'm looking out at some uh, white ones and purple ones that are in bloom and very, very pretty right now. And, you know, that's a plant that we so often think of as being a more northern plant, although we see it in Atlanta. We see it, uh, or I guess I should say a little bit more colder climate plant. But how long have you had yours in the ground? They've been through a couple of years now, haven't they? Yeah, just a couple of years. Maybe some of them as much as three seasons. But I'm fairly new to growing them. I just, I don't know. You know, it's uh, certain plants you just don't think about because you're busy doing all these others and uh, it's good to do some new ones and learn some new things oh absolutely well one thing i wanted to be sure and ask you and then i've got a couple other things to talk about but um had a caller early this morning that said would you please ask howard to talk about apple cider vinegar and he wanted he was very specific he wanted to know exactly how you take it exactly how much you take what you generally recommend to people, whether and I I don't mind the taste of it, but I know a lot of people mix it with other things. But he said, please ask Howard to talk about apple cider vinegar this morning. Well, it's kind of like the column that I just wrote. It'll run next uh, Wednesday in Dallas. Oh, really? It was about making. Well, it is a different subject a little bit. Um, it's about uh, cleaning liquids for cleaning produce cleaning fruits and vegetables uh-huh. before you eat them and you know to get the residue off because you don't know if it's organic or, or conventional how it's been handled and I, so right. i recommend you know cleaning all stuff and i was given some formulas about using vinegar and hydrogen peroxide and baking soda and different things and i'm going to do it into a newsletter now and expand on it a little bit because the formulas the mixes that i recommend are good but if you just kind of swash some hydrogen peroxide on or use some mixtures that are, you know, whatever you happen to do it, you don't have to be that exact about it. Right. It's kind of like that with taking vinegar. I uh, I put a little bit in my water when I'm uh, taking my vitamins and supplements in the morning. I just, you know, put a splash uh, in there. I don't know exactly how much it is. <laughs> And I put a little bit in my dog's uh, food, a little bit less. Uh, if you put too much, it's going to taste awfully strong. I think that's the the main thing. But I probably take, I probably when I unless I forget to do it or I'm doing other things and and uh, don't think about it or I've run out of it, I probably take about an ounce a day or something like that, okay. mixed in water, maybe a little bit more than that. Well, very good. But and it's uh, it's a you know it's loaded with trace minerals. It's uh, kind of a uh, antioxidant in a way. It's kind of a tonic. If you did more than that, I think it would be fine. I don't think there'd be any problem in doing too much. It'd just be a taste issue. Yeah. Well, I've never heard any negatives, and I had a caller a little later was bringing up the fact that uh, he or has friends that raise pigeons and things, and he said it's just an essential part of his thing. He puts some in their water very regularly, and I'm trying to remember the name of the old uh, rancher that Malcolm used to go see every now and then that, uh, you know, just rotated his, his cows practically daily through his uh, 40 or something different paddocks on a hundred acres. But I know he put it in the, in the drinking water for the cattle and felt like it really took care of internal parasites. So they just, there are a lot of good things about it, but I don't, I've just never heard any negatives do it. I think the, the key is opposed to uh, what I've 
do, you know, do what I say instead of what I do. It's do it on a regular uh, basis, and I think it's I think it's just a wonderful uh, supplement and part of uh, part of your diet. And there's no so, reason to refrigerate it, is there? Well, I do. It doesn't have on the on the bottles usually that you should. But I just do it anytime it's a food type product, uh-huh. and I've opened it. I do, I do it. It's probably not uh, all that necessary. I tell you one thing I do with it's probably the most unusual thing, and I do it probably on a more regular basis than drinking it. Even is that is rinsing with it after uh, at the end of my shower. Hmm. I think it's really good for your skin, and uh, you know a lot of these guys that I play golf with just slather this. Uh, sunscreen all over. Oh, yeah. I've never put sunscreen on my body once in my life, um, and don't plan on it. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 rinsing of uh, apple cider vinegar after you shower, I think, probably gives you some indirect help there. Kind of like being out in the full sun a little bit during the day and getting vitamin D does. But isn't isn't that also what you recommend for uh, head lice problems and things like that? Doesn't it take vinegar, care of that as well? Yeah, vinegar will take it out, and probably in that case, the uh, the white vinegar is mm-hmm. as good as the uh, as the apple cider vinegar and save a little bit of money. But I, I think it's um, all you ever need to do for head lice. I think it takes care of them. Both adults, nits, and the whole whole situation. The brand that we see most commonly down here is Bragg's apple cider vinegar. Do you know of any others, or do you have a favorite? Well, um, Whole Foods has their own uh, brand, the 365, and other people have have others. Bragg's is a good news, bad news kind of a thing to me. I've met them. I've actually been there at their place. Really? Okay. And uh, talk to them about it. They've never supported what you know we do here at all, which is a little irritating. And since I recommend vinegar as much <laughs> as I do, but the the one thing happened there that really has made me scratch my head ever since it happened. I got a call from one of their PhDs one day saying that they really disagreed with me on a column that I wrote about fats. And, of course, what I was saying in the column was that the best fats are butter and animal uh, fat and lard and, uh, you know, grass-fed stuff and, and coconut oil. And this guy flipped off about uh, coconut oil. His head spun off. Wow. That I was recommending things that were going to cause people trouble and everything. And he brought up something that really is interesting to know. He said that, you know, the Mayo Clinic, the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, this association, that association, all of them are in lock step agreeing with what he was throwing at me. That those are bad fats and will clog your arteries. So it... (laughs) That that's not good news that we've got those kind of organizations and those kind of uh, experts not even understanding what's good fat and what's bad fat. That so. yeah, that's that's troubling. I, I I'm laughing because of thinking of uh, a few years ago we took a couple of sailing trips down through the Grenadines, and I may have told you this, but one of the fun things we did on one of the islands is we were walking up you know toward the summit of it. And we walked through uh, an old cemetery up there, and the cemetery was was more far more women than men, but the ages were unbelievable. Every all of these women, 
didn't pass away until they were 90, 95, 108, 110. And uh, in talking with our, our skipper, our friend, he said the reason there's more women in the cemeteries is because so many of the men were lost at sea. But I look at the people like that, that are coconuts and are such an important part of their diet, not to mention all the other good things they do with fresh fruit and fresh fish and plenty of good Jamaican rum to go along with it. But I look at some of these people with just incredible longevity and coconut oils and the, you know, the tropical oils are just an essential part of their diet. And I just, I wonder if these people, I, I just really wonder where they get their information because it is so skewed with what nature seems to tell us. Well, the people around the world have lived the longest, eat, eat the good fats, and there's all kinds of proof about it. It's just that the, those big uh, societies are still, you know, you know, in lockstep with the universities and the yep. research that's going on there, and they, they aren't into this uh, alternative thing there may be some people listening to us out there saying well Howard, it may be the problem with your blood clots that you're eating all that stuff no it didn't have anything to do with it. the rest yeah. of my health is incredible i've never had a cold or a flu in my life and that's what's so that's what's so confusing about the fact that i did have blood clots and all these doctors probably a total of 13 now have looked into it and trying to figure out what it uh, possibly is it's probably the water contamination at camp lejeune and i was going to say you you marines and that's really... where it's going with what yeah. yeah the research we're looking at right now but one uh, an interesting thing happened when i was talking to the doctor uh that's my main doctor at, at the va she's from india really really a cool lady and and she was looking at my blood stuff and she said wow everything looks really good she said, your cholesterol is a little high. She said, it's not too high, but it's a little high. And I said, well, my good cholesterol is really high. And then she said, well, it's okay. And she said, whoa, it's really <laughs> high. <laughs> and that, that comes from the good fats. That's, yeah. that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, that's, I tell you, an interesting question I would love for you to pose to her sometime is how she feels about the military's just total – um, I mean, they've just embraced DEET to an impossible oh, level. They're giving it, uh, yeah. they're telling the our active duty personnel to wash their clothing in it, to slather that on, that on themselves constantly. And um, uh, I, I would wonder how a physician who sees a lot of military people, um, you know, how they feel about that. Because, man, I just, I, DEET scares me. It does me too, and they're going to say, "Well, the benefits outweigh the dangers." I'm sure it's what they'd say. But I'd be glad to talk to them and see what they say. But that's not all that is along those lines. They also put pyrethrins in yep. um, synthetic pyrethroids, actually, in the clothes. Yeah. And so, you know, their main thing is, you know, we got to we got to protect the men and women from the, you know, the, the diseases and all that, the insects and the diseases. And I get that, but. It's, uh, yeah, we're a long way from being right on target there. Well, it, it's, you know, an interesting thing. And, of course, it, it we, we'll have a long discussion sometime. But I've got another a book for you to read sometime. And I can't remember the exact title. I don't know why I can't. But it's something like The White City of the Monkey God or something like that. And it's the story of some people down in Honduras um, exploring 
you know, finding, in effect, a couple of lost civilizations. And it goes into a lot of interesting things, including a lot of the tropical diseases. And a lot of these people came back with some really serious things that didn't develop till they were back in this country, uh, particularly a, a parasite called Leish, Leishmania. I remember studying Leishmaniasis in uh, um college back when i was studying parasitology but you know it's a it's a long discussion but apparently there's a lot of belief now you know everybody always said whatever happened to the mayas to the incas to some of these central and south american and mexican civilizations that just vanished and it was probably european diseases that came in but after reading some of the things about Leishmaniasis, I can I can see why people would be a little concerned and might be tempted because these guys were talking about just slathering themselves with DEET, but uh, that's uh, that's a whole other topic. But I that's something I'm I'm sure glad we don't face that sort of thing. We got plenty to talk about. Y'all uh, get some gardening in this week and uh, get some more cool season things planted if you haven't and. Uh... Maybe keep the floating row cover handy in case the uh, weather guessers don't get it exactly right. <laughs> Sounds like a very, a very good thing, Howard. It's always a pleasure, and um, uh, I'll just look forward to visiting sometime in the near future. Thanks so much as always for joining us, and give the two-legged and four-legged kids in your life a big hug for me. We'll see everybody uh, in a week. Look, Enjoyed it as always. Look see forward to it, Howard. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, Ms. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor, you know, dirtdoctor.com, just the best website on the Internet for gardening information that is applicable to our area. There's so much stuff. I'm not going to say it's bad that's on the Internet, but there's so much stuff that doesn't apply here. And uh, just if you're looking for good gardening advice, and uh, there are just so many benefits. Anybody can go to the website. Anybody can learn a tremendous amount from it. If you spend just a few dollars a year and join uh, what they call the Organic Club of America, you'll have access to a lot of additional things. Plus, you get some free seeds and all kinds of fun stuff. I, I just respect Howard Garrett so much and so appreciate the fact that he shares a little bit of his Saturday mornings with us here. All right, let's get right back to the phone line. It's going to be Chris, Janet, Allen, and Joe, and Chris is up first. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Bob, and everybody else out in Radio Land. Very good. good to hear your voice. Thank you. Happy New Year's. Merry Christmas. May this year be very profitable for you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, hey, people in, who own their own business need to stay that way to keep going anyway my two questions are number one on apple cider vinegar yes and yeah i've noticed bragg's has some interesting things what i do every day is i have a concoction of apple cider vinegar aloe vera turmeric uh cinnamon and uh just brain fart um hydrogen peroxide that I take, Mm -hmm. keep it in the refrigerator, and I can notice when I don't take it what effect it has on me. Oh, yeah. Those are all great supplements and and all do things, good things for the immune system and the body in general. Yep. And my rooster's crowing his head off. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm standing right next to him or near him. He wants to protect his girls. Anyway, the other thing is... uh, Something's attacking my uh, brain fart. Uh, something's attacking my spinach. But only like one over here and one on the other side of the garden. I have it spread out around because 
I have uh, broccoli and everything else growing, so sure. I sort of have the spinach planted in between them. Is it just is it just the plant just sort of collapses, rots and collapses? No, it's not rotting and collapses. Something's eating it. Okay. I would uh, – there, there are two things, and I fight some of the same thing on my spinach. Pill bugs are the primary factor, and uh, I don't know why they seem to pick one over the other. But believe it or not, mice, rodents of any sort, they also love spinach. Uh, so those are, I'd probably put out some of the, uh, spinosad bait they call sluggo plus, and that'll okay. take care of the pill bugs and the slugs without using anything toxic and just, you know, keep an eye out for rodents because there are plenty of them around this time of year. Oh uh, yeah. We've already got eight coons that were, uh, they were taken care of. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Three skunks that have invaded us but they weren't getting that yeah these are like all of a sudden you just notice like one whole leaf is gone mm-hmm. that's um, all that was my main thing well i would i would be suspicious of rodents where you're losing an entire leaf at a time pill bugs you'll end up with a lot of stuff gouged out of the side and things like that but uh i feel mice things like that there are an awful lot of them around and um, you might might try, if you can keep your chickens away from them, a, a little snap trap or two out there and see see if you find anything that uh, yeah. uh, I think well, that's... Well, my feral cats aren't taking care of it then, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I, I set the traps, and I put a little cage over the top to be sure that the uh, cats, uh, roosters, things like that don't get into it. But uh, that would be my first suspicion, and uh, because there are a lot of them out there, and, and I don't know anything that loves fresh greens more. Uh, we do. <laughs> there you go. There you Thank go. You, Bob. My pleasure, Chris. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Let's get Janice on here. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Good I'm morning. Corpus. I have a couple of questions. Okay. Um, I have a, a dwarf bottle brush um, brushes. Yeah. They've been in the ground over 10 years. I've never cut them back. They're blooming again. I, can't, I guess because of the change in the weather and the seasons that we've had. How far do I cut them back, and when do I cut them back since they are blooming? Well, that variety is called Little John. It is a really good, hardy plant, and there's no reason that you have to cut them back. Um, If, you know, they have their heaviest bloom in the spring, and then they'll occasionally re-bloom when weather does strange things. So I would very definitely, if you feel like you need to prune them, wait until the spring flowering is finished and okay. the the main thing is don't ever take off more than maybe 40% of the foliage at any one time. You can't say, you know, I'm going to cut them down halfway, I'm going to reduce them to a certain size, because the more foliage you take off, the more you weaken the plant. And it may be a little or a lot, uh, but just be sure that you don't take off more than 40% of the foliage at a time. Beyond that, you prune them any shape, any way you want, but they do not have to be pruned. They're one of the few dwarf plants, uh, along with dwarf pittosporum and a couple of others, that really stay attractive even if you never touch them with the pruning shears. Okay, well, good, because I've never never have. They've just yeah. gotten a little, a little taller. <laughs> well, if you need to reduce the size a little bit, you can, but let them, let them have their flowering season first. Okay. Then my uh, second question is, I have a ponytail palm. It froze years back when we had a heavy freeze here in Corpus, and uh-huh. it came back. What I'm noticing that I have a lot, and I don't know what, the, what you actually call the term of it, is it leaves or prongs or what, 
I have more dead prongs than usual, and I also notice that one of the limbs is completely shriveled up now at the top, and it's lost all of its leaves or slash prongs, and I have no idea what could be wrong with it. It's almost certainly a water issue. Okay. And much more commonly, too much rather than too little. Uh, ponytails, bocarnias are desert plants, but uh-huh. they do not like wet feet. If you were to take your fingers and go all over the bulb, the big bulb down at the base, uh, are there any soft spots? Does it feel good and hard throughout? Okay. Well, the only thing I did notice when the thing froze, it, uh, it's probably about 16 inches in diameter uh-huh. or, uh, or, well, bigger than that. Um, and when it froze, the center prongs uh, came off completely. So I right. almost got like a volcano in mm-hmm. there, and then the rest of them came up all around. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's holding the water in that, maybe. You need to look. Yeah. yeah. You need to look carefully, but uh, I they really don't. I mean, they can get mealy bug, but where you've got them outside, uh, they're not likely to have really any insect problems at all. I, I think the problem is more the you know soil having stayed so wet because you guys got lots of rain September and October just like the hill country did. Yeah, and we I, did. We just got almost an inch and a half within this last week. Yeah, I I yeah. don't think you can or should do much of anything about it, Janice. I think just uh, okay. be careful. You're not giving them any supplemental water, but I think you're just looking at the roots have gotten too wet you've lost some of the root system and the plant correspondingly will sometimes lose a portion of its top when that happens okay and the one that's shriveling up um i'm out here now uh touching it it's real hard at the top so can i just cut that dead part off and when should i cut that off just cut it off break it off whenever it's convenient for you Will it re-sprout, you think? It'll re-sprout somewhere down that trunk. I don't know whether it'll be up close to the top where it's dead, but it will start sprouting out somewhere up and down that trunk. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you. I really enjoy your show. I've listened to it probably for over 10 years. Well, I appreciate that. I, I won't admit how many, but I've been doing it for a lot more than that. But <laughs> always always love to hear from people that enjoy gardening. So you have a great weekend, and we'll talk again. Right now, it's more important to talk to Alan and then Joe. Good morning, Alan. Hi, good morning. How you doing? I'm great, sir. How about yourself? Just fine. Uh, probably asked you this question two or three times over the last three months. Uh, can I still put winter rye out? Will it still come out? It will very definitely come out. Still a fine time to put it out. And the only negative is that uh, the later we put it out, the l- shorter the period of time we have to enjoy it because it's uh, it, it doesn't have a lifespan based on when you put it. It has a lifespan based on when it gets hot. And when it gets really hot... Um, some varieties tend to go away quicker than others. The dwarf types, the ones they call perennial, which really aren't, uh, they will last on into some of the hot weather if you give them plenty of water. But if you're using the Oregon Rise or some of the others, uh, you know, they're just going to go away when hot weather hits. But, uh, you know, if you've got soil that needs to be held in place, uh, they're still one of the best things you can plant. And um, so, yeah, no, if you can find the good seed, you put it out, you water it regularly, and you'll have nice green cover in a week or 10 days. Okay. What kind did you say doesn't last very long? 
Uh, the Oregon rye, which is the uh, it's the real tall growing, it's the really inexpensive one. If you're looking for a good rye at this point, I probably would call Douglas King Seed. I think they will have one called Greyhound in stock, and uh, it's one of the medium height ryes, and that one will probably last a little bit longer in the heat, provided you're able to water it. You never got any more in at your store, did you? No, we we have to order it back in the summertime, and uh, we like the one that is called Playmate, uh, but right. just it, it went out early, and we looked everywhere in the country. It's used by so many golf courses. I mean, they probably use 99.9% of the seed that's produced, and uh, just when it's gone, it's gone. So uh, we'll, yeah. just, we'll just order more this next year, but for now, I'll tell you called Douglas King Seed, and they can ship it to your door if you need them to. Okay, and one other question. Can we grow a mango tree in San Antonio? Uh, inside a greenhouse. Inside a greenhouse. They grow basically like an apple tree and about the same yeah. size, but they are very cold sensitive. Uh, they'll they'll stop growing well when the temperatures are in the low 40s, and they can freeze and die once we get below freezing. So it's certainly not a landscape plant. Do you have any at your store? We don't carry mangoes. Too few people are okay. successful with them. That's, if you want... To talk to somebody that really knows tropical fruits, uh, there's a uh, there's a nursery down. I believe they're in Harlingen or just up above uh, Harlingen called Rivers End Nursery. Those people uh-huh. grow more different kinds of unusual tropical fruit than anybody I know of, and they would be able to tell you what variety has the best chance of doing well here. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You do the same, Alan. Thanks for the call. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, let's finish up today with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. My voice made it through the show. I, I don't know what this kind of crud that uh, actually my business partner, her husband, and I have all been uh, kind of limited on voice the past few days. Some people will tell you that might be a good thing. But anyway, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, it's pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, I just had a question about uh, composting my garden. Every... Every spring, I go out to New Earth and buy some of that uh, manure-based compost, and I and I till it into my garden, and it's nice and soft. Yeah. But after I plant my vegetables and stuff, after about a month, the soil hardens up, and it's uh, you know it gets pretty hard, difficult uh, to push my finger down into the soil. Sure. And uh, I was wondering, uh, would that soil activator? Uh, That soil activator would help, and if you want to make the soil activator even better, get yourself some good old molasses. doesn't have to be anything expensive, just cheapest molasses you can find. Mix up the soil activator according to directions, and then add an extra tablespoon or two of molasses to that mix per gallon of of material, and that's going to do more to increase the biological activity, which is what helps make your soil soft. Uh, those bacteria, they actually do more to loosen the soil than anything you could possibly do. So, yeah, soil activator, but I'd, I'd add a little bit of uh, extra molasses to that soil activator, and that's going to really help keep it soft. Other than that, be sure to stay with the organic fertilizers. Uh, just regular store-bought molasses? That's fine. You can probably get it cheaper from a feed store than you can from the grocery store. Yeah, after the plants start coming up, uh, if you spray the soil activator like on the plants, uh, does, does it hurt the plant? Doesn't hurt the plant at all. Doesn't hurt the plant one bit. Have a, 
Even if they already have the, uh, like the fruit growing on the plants yeah. and all that. It's not, it's not going to bother them. Oh, okay. Yeah, since I've already used the, uh, the, uh, the compost for, for a few years, uh, would it, would it be better to just, uh, like till the garden first and then just put the compost on top? And I just, I just put, I don't till because till breaks up so many beneficial things in the soil. But, uh, I just would put your compost on top and water it and forget about tilling. I think your soil gets so soft you won't have to till it. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Okay, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Very good. I appreciate the call.